Welcome to the final episode of Demore Belgium South Africa Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me to conclude the season, as always, is the Canadian who I sometimes forget is a real person, Logan Zonders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's time to say goodbye to this season, and I'm very sad. And a wrap-up to five seasons of Belgian mole coverage. Potentially, yes, depending on how long we actually record. <laughs> we might have to spin <laughs> that out to a separate episode. Spoilers. Potentially. But yeah, we're definitely wrapping up this season today. Yeah, South Africa's done. Yeah. And I will say that this season was pretty much as good as I remembered it being. I have trumpeted this season as being one of the best seasons of reality TV ever for years. And it holds up. It genuinely holds up very well, I would say. Yeah, there's only two weird... I would say one... the After I finished the episode, there's one thought that really entered my head, which is... Wow, there wasn't really any coalitions during the season. No, it's the complete opposite of Argentina. By episode three in Argentina, everyone essentially is in an alliance of some description and hates the other team's guts. Whereas this season, there really isn't. There's kind of loose friendships, and everyone really gets on very well, as we find out in the reunion, but there's never really any concrete coalitions. Only one I would say would be, which we never see any evidence of until after the fact, which is Hans and Robin. Yeah, and um, and Yolene and Eileen as well. Yes, we had no idea that existed until the reunion episode. <laughs> Do you think there was other coalitions, but it was just a matter of the editors just wanting a different, a different flavor to show the audience? Yeah, I definitely think that South Africa is a response to the Argentine season. You cannot take one without the other, really. And we, I mean, we certainly did. That's the whole reason why we did both in the same year, is the fact that, really, they're two sides of the same coin. They're completely opposite seasons in terms of the the way the story's told, in terms of the characters. There's a common thread of it being bloody well-produced. But they're really two diametrically opposed seasons. And after this season... You really see the influence that both seasons have had on the later three seasons, but you never really see a season like Argentina in terms of the abrasiveness of the cast or anything like that, and you never see a a season as wild, I would say, as South Africa. Wild is the best word I can think of for South Africa in terms of both the landscapes and the challenges. It's it's a it's a great word to describe South Africa as a country. <laughs> yeah, I know I've said this many many times before. Now I am a complete broken record on Belgium South Africa, but Belgium South Africa is the season that uses its location the best of any season I've ever seen of them all. South Africa as a character is the twelfth player in this season, and there is no better compliment I can pay for a season than saying basically the location is a character in itself in the season, because it really is. Yeah, and then especially this final episode, they really play into the South Africa theme. And I, and in fact, this final episode, out of all of the finales I can think of off the top of my head, has the biggest impact on the contestants themselves. Yeah, it's genuinely life-affirming, the first challenge of this episode, and it's really delightful. For one reason that you've seen the episode, and one reason that I'm very interested to see whether you remember the sort of postscript of this season. Because the winner gives up about 30% of his winnings because of something that happens in the finale. Well, let's get into the episode first, then we can then we can discuss the winner's actions. So previously, the final four flew to Johannesburg and faced off with the South African rugby team in a game of famous soundtracks. 
Davy's knowledge failed him, while Eileen and Annalise fumbled some catches, infuriating Robin, who threatened to take his shorts off. Davy and Eileen had to spot the differences in a quirky restaurant to earn cash, while Robin and Annalise watched on. Robin decided to open a mole book, costing the group money, while everyone had to choose whether to lie with their eyes to earn yokers. In the end, Robin's lack of yokers sent him home, leaving our final three as Annalise, Davy, and Eileen. And the one bit of this episode that I had forgotten was the thoroughly delightful introduction that the school teacher gives us of the final three. <laughs> I remembered all the challenges, but it's so brilliant, this opening introduction. I love it. How confused were the kids? Three very nice people. <laughs> Eileen has a big heart, but an even bigger mouth. Like, I love this. It's so... It's just got such wonderful character, this introduction to the finale of the school teacher doing a presentation, introducing the final three, and let's be honest, chatting shit about them. And using like old school slides too, which is my favorite part that I remember from when I was in elementary school. Click, and this, <laughs> and this suspect, he's a cool guy, but is secretly really sensitive. And one time when he was 12 years old, he got stung by a bee and had an allergic reaction. Oh. And Annalise was Miss Moto. I just love the way the teacher says, one of them is a traitor, one of them is the moral. It just, I think I've said this on social media actually in the past week when we've been recording this, but I've seen the ending of this season four times at least now. And every single time I watch the reveal of the winner and the mole, it gives me goosebumps. This is such a brilliant finale. Just as soon as you see, spoilers, Davy's light come on, like the hairs on my arm stand up. And I don't know why. It's just, I think I have a real affinity with the season, surprisingly. And it just, it's just such a joyful finale. I wish they would have made the school kids do the quiz. I mean, they're trying to give them information on each of the three suspects. They should have a, as much of a shot as anybody else. Because when they were doing the reveal, I was expecting when the light turned on, that it would be next to one of the school kids. <laughs> the problem is, the advantage that Davey won is that he could have a school kid do the test as well, and any wrong answers he got that they didn't, he got a point for. Except he'd have to answer the question in Swana. Yeah, obviously. That's why Annalise lost. It was the damn Swana-speaking kids. Mape, of course. It's Mole. <laughs> so we open for real in Crom Dry, flying over the savannah. Jill says that one of them is the winner, one is a loser, and one is the mole. Annalise says that she's going for it. Davy is super happy to be a finalist, but really wants to win, as that is something to be proud of. And Aline says it's the aim to get to the end, but winning would be the icing on the cake. And Jill picks them up on the side of the road, in an empty school bus. And I know we love talking about the music on Belgi, it's one of the main highlights, as well as, you know, everything else about this show. But Rusted Root sent me on my way as a tune. I did not remember the Matilda theme being played in Belgian Mole. No, it's a certified bop. It's a proper good tune. And it's it's brilliant to start this challenge. Yeah, I don't have anything against it. I just wasn't expecting a song from the Matilda soundtrack to be used. Well, they're they're really into their film soundtracks in the past couple of episodes, aren't they? It's it's only right that they then go to Roald Dahl adaptations. <laughs> yes. So Gilles says that the first challenge is child's play. They will compete against school teachers in three challenges and enlist the children to help. But first, they have to pick them up. Each of them will be asked a question about the other two. If they're correct, they pick up eight children. If not, it is only two. And I have to say, this is such a brilliant twist on the mole staple challenge that is three questions. 
I was about to say, I don't mind this variation of the three questions challenge that even in the American version, when they go into the celebrity versions, I think Celebrity Molly Yucatan, it was the first time they stepped away from three questions and they couldn't really figure out a way how at the end of Celebrity Molly Yucatan because they didn't have the best challenges to finish the season. And here with Belgian Mole, they have they have the three questions challenge that they can use, but they're they're thinking, hmm, how can we make it better? And I think in this case, they did make it better. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about with three questions, pretty much every American season ended with a challenge where individually they all had to hide in a house somewhere in a town, usually somewhere like Italy. And the other two were asked three questions that the person who was hiding had, had answered. If their answers matched the person who was hiding, then when they knocked on the door, they would find the person hiding and they'd earn money for the pot. If not, then that person would win an advantage of some description. We haven't seen it in any other Belgian season, but this is a brilliant way to do it, where it's, yeah, it's three questions. But also, if you play it correctly, even if you get the question wrong, you can still win the challenge as a whole. It's not as easily mauled. Yeah, it's like they use it as the first part to a much bigger challenge. So Eileen is the first person to get asked a question. She's asked which of the other two said that they didn't want to be the mole in the application. And if she thinks it's Davy, she goes to the left house. If she thinks it's Annalise, she goes to the right. And I know we mentioned this in the Argentina premiere, but I cannot imagine going on the mole and saying you don't want to be the mole. Well, Annalise said that. It would be my absolute dream to be on a mole season and actually be the mole because A, you're the centre of attention and B, you just get to mess with people constantly. It'd be brilliant. But as we later find out, you have to mess with people under circumstances that freak you out. That is very true. So yeah, she picks Annalise. She's correct. And we see both of them answer the question. Annalise said she thinks she'd be too scared of not being able to do it properly. Davy is much more clean-shaven in his interview. <laughs> and he ends up comparing tattoos with the children when they board the bus. I, I noticed I wrote that down too. I'm thinking, hmm, would producers have picked Davy if uh, he had the beard that he has now? <laughs> Annalise is the second to answer a question. Both of the other two said that they want to be the mole. But who said, yes, I'd like to do it. People think that I'm a blabbermouth, but actually I'm a calculated person. Eileen is the left house. Davy is the right. She chooses Eileen. She is wrong. And then Davy is the last person asked. He's asked, who said, I'll try and be friends with everyone, even though I do foolish things. Annalise is the left house. Eileen is the right. And he also chooses Annalise and is correct. And in a very heartwarming moment, they also sing Shoshaloza with the kids. I was thinking, if you suspected Annalise going into the final quiz, this may have confirmed your suspicion to go on Annalise right here. I was very surprised Eileen didn't sabotage this. Yeah, I mean, we can talk We can talk openly about Eileen being the mole after you've seen these two episodes. So I don't know why Eileen didn't sabotage. I'll be honest. I'm just... This whole episode... I mean, she didn't put the best effort into sabotaging anything this round. This is, as a mole, I think this might be one of the worst performances I've seen. I don't know. We're still, when we're recording this, not at the point where we know if the mole was in the uh, in the cell in Vidim Renaissance yet. That could genuinely be the worst one-episode mole performance ever, purely because the mole couldn't do anything. Okay, okay. If the, if the mole in Vidim Renaissance was in the cell during that, one and a half episode bore fest, then yes, that was the worst perform a worse single episode performance than Aline. Excluding the odd Vidim Renaissance twist, I think throughout this episode we have to have the discussion that this is the single worst performance by a mole over a three challenge span. Yeah, and I don't know why. That's the thing. 
There's no logical excuse for Eileen taking a step back here. It's not like Davy and Annalise were suddenly going to go off the trail. I mean, Jills himself says they always want the mole to be masked at the finale. So why have the mole suddenly pretend to be a player and throw both players off, potentially, or try to? Why don't they just want the mole to continue acting like the mole, knowing that they, they guarantee they'll get it unmasked at the final quiz? I wonder whether it goes back to the fact that Davy and Annalise were on Eileen so quickly. Because as we find out in the reunion, Davy was pretty much onto her from minute one, and then he went straight ticket on her from the Bertram Memorial quiz, as did Annalise. And he was kind of maybe 70% on her in week two. Neither of these two people who were in the finale with her were really that surprised it was her in the end. So maybe there was just that last element of, I'm going to just sow a little bit of doubt just in case. Producers were probably thinking, we won't throw both of them off, but we might be able to throw one of them off at the last minute. Yeah, because none of the other Belgian mole seasons, I don't think, have had a mole actually be properly found out from minute one. I can't remember any of the others where the winner has gone to the ending gun. Yeah, I was on to you from pretty much the first challenge. Well, Davy can make that claim. <laughs> so I wonder whether that is just a side effect of Annalise and Davy going, yeah, we've known it's, it's been you for three weeks now, that they just thought, maybe we'll sow a little bit of doubt just in case. Or Elaine in production thought, hmm, these two have not wavered for seven rounds of play. They've gone straight ticket on me since episode three. Why would they change their mind after going straight ticket on me for so long and know they didn't get executed? Maybe I'll just help them out and build the pot right at the end of the game. Just be a celebration for the end. Let's genuinely, all three of us, try to work together and add a few extra grand for one of you two who are both going to be extremely deserving winners. Yeah, let's make it even more of a joyous finale. So, each person will do a challenge against a teacher, one of them will do tug of war against two PE teachers, one must do mental maths against a maths teacher, and the last must do a language challenge against the language teacher. They choose Aline for maths, David for sports, and Annelise for languages. Any that they do win, they get a thousand euros for the pots. And they also need to divide the 18 children that they took amongst themselves. They really... they exploit all of the stereotypes possible to succeed at these challenges. They make Annalise do the language task, they make Aline do math, and they make Davy do sports. It's, I'm thinking if you had the older female, the younger female, and the male, that is exactly how you'd expect to be divided up. And then for the students, they make all of the boys do the tug-of-war, and then the girls did the language task. Gender equality hasn't reached Belgium by 2017, evidently. So yeah, Davy takes all the five strong boys, the rest of the boys go with Aline, and the girls all go with Annalise. And Annalise has to teach her six children 20 Dutch words. The language teacher gets the same words. After 15 minutes, Papa Bear Gilles de Costa will give them a test. She also gets an offer. If the children don't know the answer to theirs, she can still get a point by remembering the Swana word for it. Both sides get the first answer correct. It ends up being 9-9, but the children don't know what the Flemish word for map is, and Annalise doesn't know the Swana, so the teacher wins. Poor Soloja. <laughs> and Eileen and her children must race the maths teacher to solve eight equations and then put those answers into another equation. Whoever gets the right answer first wins, and Eileen wins, earning a thousand euros. 
See, this is one that Aline should have 100% sabotaged. She is completely unattended, and she wins the task. And, more importantly, the children make a mistake and she corrects them. Yeah, that was the other part too. She went, she tried really hard to win this challenge. Arguably harder than Annalise and Davy did to win their challenges. And Davy waits for his challenge and tries to psych up his five boys. And when it comes time for the tug of war, the PE teachers are no match for Davy's boys, meaning that they earn 2,000 euros of possible 3,000. And one of the children even asked if Eileen wanted to go home with him. What? That's what they said in the car afterwards. Eileen said one of the boys asked uh, asked if she wanted to go home with him. <laughs> I missed that part. I don't know how you missed that. It was one of the funniest bits. I need to go back and see that. Is that like right when right after the challenges challenge ends? Yeah, it's like within maybe 20, 30 seconds of the challenge ending. Oh, you got you gotta love children that way. Just things that come out of their mouth that no one else can get away with. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you asked Davy if he wanted to go home with you in uh, in Antwerp, it all got a little bit awkward. No matter how much he'd had to drink. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Come on, this is my last episode of actually probably being able to make Davy jokes. I'm going to keep giving him. So Annalise says that she was at home in a school, and Aline says it was suspicious that Annalise didn't even learn her word when the children struggled with it. And they are actually driving themselves to the next location. That means they're far from Johannesburg. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was like... Yeah, we're just going to make sure you are as far away from Joburg as is physically possible, then you're allowed to drive again. Although, Eileen did have a walkie-talkie in the car, just in case. Probably more for wildlife, jumping out onto the road, if anything. So they are driving themselves to Polanesburg National Park, where they can earn their last amount of money, and where they will also all discover who the mole is, even though every single one of them already knows. And Gilles says to them it would be a shame to leave without doing a safari, people look for the big five on safari... One of them will see them all, one will see only one of them, and one will see none of them. Or in Jill's case, it's the big four repeatedly, and it's different combinations of them. I do love the outtake trailer over the credits at the end of the reunion. It does make me giggle every time, mainly because it is usually at Jill's expense. The lion, the elephant, the leopard, the rhinoceros, and... Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, one of them will see them all, one of them will see only one of them, and one will see none. Davy chooses to sacrifice himself and see none, Annalise will be the person seeing one, and Eileen will see them all. Potentially. Eileen has to lead a safari group, she's got an hour to study as much information about the over 25 types of animals that are in Pilanesburg. Davy and Annalise need to find one of those big five and take a photo. Gilles gives them a tracker, which Annalise needs to carry. Davy gets a camera and can take up to five photos with it. However, Annalise won't be able to hear, and Davy won't be able to see. Eileen's group will be asked a question after the safari about the animal that was photographed. If they are correct, the group will earn 2,000 euros. And they also get a ranger called Greg. Hi, Greg. This is actually another sort of takeoff of a classic mole challenge, which is the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil challenge. I quite like that the two main challenges of this episode are pastiches of previous classic mole challenges just with a little belgian mole spin because i'd forgotten how close davy and annalise actually get to one of the big five here which makes me really jealous because the rhino is my favorite animal did you see any rhinos when you were at kruger yes the closest one happened on the night drive and there's the other one that was really far away behind because 
at Kruger at the time, they had lots of rain leading up to my visit. So they said it was the one of the rainiest years they've ever had, which meant that the thickets and the all the vegetation had really grown to where it was tougher to see the animals that were a bit further off the road. It was funny you mentioned that, Michael, because while I was watching the episode yesterday and saw how close they were to a rhino, I looked up best places to see rhinos. Kruger was indeed number one, because I'm thinking, I know I went there for a reason, too. But it was just covered up by too much vegetation. But now I looked at other places where there's not as many rhinos, but they'll be in open fields, which are much easier to see. And I'm thinking, damn it, I got to go to one of those places instead, because I want to see a rhino up close. I think this is the point of the podcast where I break your heart, because I saw a few rhinos. I got pretty close to a few rhinos when I went on my game drives, and I saw a newborn baby rhino. And which which safari place was this? <laughs> that was a, a private game reserve that was amazing. It was the best place I've ever stayed, and I am trying to dig out my baby rhino photo now just to send you on Facebook, just to make you even more jealous. Because we were the we were the first people in basically the entire world to see this newborn baby rhino. It was probably about nine weeks old, and because obviously they have such problems with poaching in uh, in South Africa, especially, we were sworn to secrecy that we'd seen it at the time. We weren't allowed to post on social media or anything that we'd seen a newborn baby rhino there. But they hadn't had a newborn rhino in two and a half years, I think our ranger said, and when he finally actually saw that we were all looking at this newborn baby rhino, he did a little dance because he was so excited. He was kind of really stoic for like 90% of our time there. And he was so excited when he saw this little little baby rhino. It was so cute. Don't you think poachers are some of the worst people on the planet? Oh yeah, they're absolute scumbags. Um, I never really, never really was that enamored with rhinos, I'll be honest, until I went on safari. And rhinos are awesome. They're so cute. And I have just sent you the picture on Facebook, so it'll be coming through in a minute. Um, yeah. Poachers are absolute scumbags. Yeah, I wish people would poach the poachers. See how they feel. Jesus Christ, you were close to it. Yeah, that was arguably with a zoom lens, but we were probably 10 feet at most away from it. We were on a path, and it was pretty much right next to us. And then we, we got up close and personal with a couple of rhinos as well. Rhinos are so docile. I couldn't remember which of the big five they'd actually seen on on this challenge. And then when it was revealed that it was the rhino, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because of the big five, they're probably the least lethal to walk up to. <laughs> rhinos are rhinos are basically grass vacuum cleaners. Except the one time where was because of course I have the one the one friend who arranged for me to stay at Kruger worked at Kruger, and she showed me the video of when they got to do, do the nature walk. I did one of the nature walks, and we must have just missed out on a rhino because the guide said the rhino had just come through, and I'm thinking, oh, we get to see one up close, but we never did after two hours or so. And then my friend, she showed me the video of the rhino preparing to charge at the nature walk group. <laughs> and then the two the two guides had to bring out their rifles to shoot the rhino just in case. Yeah, obviously, it's a wild animal. You have to be a little bit sensible with it. Having said that, of the big five, you're probably least likely to die from rhinos. Rhinos will only charge you if they feel threatened. Whereas lions, lions will just maul you for fun. Leopards will just maul you for fun. Buffalo, we didn't see, and they're 
they shouldn't be part of the Big Five. They're not proper Big Five animals. And whatever the other one was. Elephant? Yeah, elephants are awesome as well, but you don't mess with elephants. Yeah, don't mess with wild elephants, yeah. No, we we had an elephant um, come very close to us and trumpet at us to sod off, basically. So I've got some great pictures from that as well, but you're not seeing that yet. Um, so, yeah, they do get a ranger called Greg. Annalise wears headphones with loud classical music so she can't hear when the tracker goes off. Davy wears a blindfold so he can't see where he's going or what he's taking a picture of. And Eileen says that she's designed to focus on the animals she doesn't know, including the differences between cheetahs and leopards. And in my experience, the differences between cheetahs and leopards is cheetahs are actually real, leopards are not, because we didn't see any. <laughs> and after an hour, she joins the safari vehicle. The tourists are told that she's a ranger in training and being followed by a camera crew. Each tourist has to rank her out of 10 in knowledge, observation, speaking, humour and passion, which does sound to me like the Jason Mendoza school of... Um, of awesomeness, coolness, hotness, dopeness, freshness, and danceability. And he ranks you out of 13 in those. If she scores 60% or higher, she will earn a thousand euros for the pot. And they stop the vehicle for one tourist to ask about a kudu. And it turns out that maybe some of these people have done a safari or two before. <laughs> if she wasn't the mole, this would have been a bit of a stitch up. Davy and Annalise aren't entirely comfortable with walking around somewhere where wild animals could be. Davy asks Greg whether elephants are dangerous, and Greg says that there are a lot of things that are dangerous around here. Good going, Greg. Nice way to actually appease Davy's fears. And I'm the most dangerous one of them all. <laughs> Man himself. <laughs> yeah. What they should have done, though, is made sure that Davy had to walk, walk past some ostriches just for funsies. That's what I would have done. I would have just made sure there were some ostriches just hanging around for Davy. The best part, because he's blindfolded, is to have him walk through a tunnel of lions. Be like, there's nothing dangerous around here, Davey. Just keep walking. You're perfectly fine. That would have actually been, you know, a health and safety nightmare. Whereas putting him in a, in a path of ostriches probably isn't. Worst thing ostriches are going to do is kick him a bit. Yeah, and help him put some words together. Wait, these ostrich eggs don't have any letters on them. You mean there's ostrich eggs that don't get letters on it? This can't be an ostrich then. And Annalise spots some zebras and Davey tells her, F you, he can't see. <laughs> and then she spots the skeleton and gets a bit creeped out and then they turn the corner and see a rhino in front of them and there are actually three including a baby it's so awesome i wish i was there i wish i was flemish it is i know i talk about the Vovinam challenge especially being one of the coolest cultural things that they've ever put people through on belgian mole this has got to be up there like being able to do a nature walk essentially and get guaranteed up close and personal with a rhino is awesome. There's no better way to put it. It's just awesome. I wish they'd put sound, they'd put trackers on all of the <laughs> rhinos at Kruger and then I get to just follow the sound signal to hang out with one. Yeah. If somehow someone is listening who is a poacher, you're an arsehole. Stop it. Stop killing rhinos. They're cool. They're the best of the big five. I don't know. Lions are pretty cool as well. If you're gonna poach something, please just stick to poaching hyenas. Yeah, or, um, or kudu. There's bloody hundreds of them. They're very tasty as well. Did you poach one? <laughs> we didn't poach one, but it was very telling that, that one of the meals at the game reserve I was staying at was basically mystery meat, whatever they've caught that day on the uh, on the game reserve. Did it taste gamey? Yeah, it was awesome. It was really nice kudu. <laughs> I know I really probably shouldn't be talking about how tasty some of these South African animals are, but kudu was very tasty. Ostrich was very tasty. Um, did they have any of the others? I had pretty much anything you can think of. Anything that wasn't endangered. 
Yeah, anything that wasn't endangered, I I did try when I was at the game reserve because you know it was pretty nice stuff and it was very well cooked. And I'm not ashamed to say that, even though it does make me sound like an arsehole after spending five minutes going, "Oh, rhinos are awesome. You shouldn't poach them." Then I'm just turning around and going, "Yeah, but kudos, they're very tasty. Poach them all you like." So. Just to make it more difficult, there are black and white rhinos in the park, and the tourists have to choose the right one. Therefore, Davy and Annalise have to make sure that they uh, that they take a picture that shows which rhino it is. And the Aline's tourists see lions crossing over the path, and she decided not to revise the lions as she can make up stuff about them. Namely, that whenever there's a new one born, the local baboon holds it above his head on a rock and, um, and sings, Look at the king, there is the king in Swahili. I like how when she was talking about the zebras, yeah, it's normal for them to have a big stomach. The, they aren't pregnant. They're a group that, uh, um, because of her, um, she's just like, that's not pregnant. That's just fat. Yeah, zebras, zebras are as lazy as they're the Homer Simpson of the animal kingdom. Out of interest, how do you think you would have done on this safari guide task? I think you probably would have done very well on it. I should hope so, considering I did a lot of safaris and I would have been interested to read about them too if I was a ranger beforehand and I think I would have done better at improvising than Aline's improvisations I mean that's our whole podcast really well yeah for better or for worse I do wonder how much of Aline's patter was awkwardness and how much of it was her trying to reduce her score and potentially jeopardize the money going in the pot she would not be the most ideal candidate for whose line is it anyway no so Davy and Annalise get even closer for the final picture. Davy waves, and according to Greg, the rhino waves back. <laughs> and Eileen is asked by the same safari ringer what the difference is between white and black rhinos, and she says she can't tell the difference. She is 100% wrong. And Eileen's tourists give her 74%, so she earns a thousand euros of the pot. And she then asks the tourists what type of rhino it is. They say white and are correct and earn another 2,000 euros of the pot. See... Aline right here just earned 3,000 euros for the pot. She could have been so much worse as a ranger. Again, she was unattended at a task. She could have just done whatever. She should have said, oh, you're asking me why the zebras have a big stomach? Well, fuck you. Like, she could have said that and plummeted her score. (laughs) Yeah, she could have, but I I wonder whether the editors were trying to creatively edit that so that if she was trying to tank her score it wouldn't make it super obvious she was the mole at the end, until obviously she came around the um, the divider. I wonder whether they were still playing a long game with the audience going, maybe they don't know she's the mole just yet. Or when they come up to the lions, she could say, oh, nah, it's nothing, just drive past. It's just lions. <laughs> Keep going, you can see them on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> oh, they don't have Disney+, Plus in South Africa. Well, well, whenever you go to, if you get a VPN, just get Disney+, Plus and you can see lions. So on day 18, they wake up in Pilanesburg for their final full day in South Africa. And after they've eaten, the monkeys raid the breakfast table. There's Rafiki. Yeah, I I have another story here. <laughs> so when we got to our lodging, I'm not going to pretend that we were slumming it in the game reserve. We really weren't. It's the nicest place I've ever stayed. They had, like, essentially a gift basket of South African snacks. And one of those was peanuts. And the one thing we were told was do not leave the peanuts out for the monkeys because they will eat them all. We got on the um, the safari vehicle on the first full morning and the other couple who were on the um, on the safari vehicle with us um, said, uh, 
Yeah, we got swamped by monkeys last night because we uh, we left all the the nuts out, and you could just kind of see our ranger's shoulders just kind of go straight up, just thinking, "I'm going to lose all my tips if I have a go at her." But she was a fucking idiot for doing that. <laughs> He's just constantly trying to keep his temper on it. So as soon as I saw this kind of the monkeys raiding the breakfast table scene, I'm like, "Oh my god, seriously! Surely they were told not to leave any food out." It's basically the golden rule of going on safari is don't leave food out that monkeys can nick. Have I ever told you about the monkeys in Bali? I think so. I don't know for certain. So the monkeys, because I saw monkeys in Japan. I saw the, the famous snow monkeys, and then I went to the sacred monkey forest in Bali in Ubud. That's really famous. And because the monkeys are so conditioned to being fed... They'll, they're comfortable enough that they'll go into your backpack and open up the zippers of your backpack and take whatever in there. They're smart enough to do that. They'll actually open up the zippers in your bag. They'll climb onto your back. You say the expression, oh, I got to get the monkey off my back. Well, it's much tougher to do in Bali if those monkeys can smell food and know it's in your backpack. They'll open up the zipper and take whatever they can. And my one final safari story, I know this is an episode that's just full of me going, oh my god, I went on an amazing safari last year, but our lodging also had an outdoor shower. And me being me, obviously, I tried out the outdoor shower a couple of times, but there was genuinely the fear, and I don't know why, because I genuinely don't actually think this would have happened, I genuinely was a little bit scared both times I had an outdoor shower that the monkeys would then steal my clothes. (laughs) I was constantly kind of looking around, making sure they didn't steal my towel or my clothes or anything, <laughs> because that would have been a fucking nightmare trying to chase monkeys through a South African game reserve who have my clothes. <laughs> so they are all individually driven in BMWs, of course, to a clearing, wearing their finest clothes and awaiting them, just like Nicky and Tico, is a helicopter. Gilles comes on the screen in their cars saying, on day 17, not everyone got to see the animals, but they can all spot the animals from the sky. However, each of them has a familiar big old red button in front of them once more. Instead of time, this time, it will count up in money. 100 euros per second, up to 5,000 euros. If someone pushes a button, the money that is on the clock at the time is theirs. However, it will come out of the group pot. If you also push the button, you will also not get to go on the helicopter flight. If no one pushes... They all get to fly, and the pot will be confirmed at €27,250. And Aline presses the button at negative €4,900. I have to also point out that when they did the equivalent of this challenge last season, they did also actually earn money, potentially. I had it in my head that they earned a bit of money from this challenge, but obviously they didn't. And it's it's a really odd final challenge, in that it's a brilliant idea, it fits with the theme of the season but I feel like they probably should have earned some money for not pushing the button. The fact that it was only a net negative possibility is a bit mean for a final mini-task. It should have been, you can lose up to 5,000, but if nobody pushes, you also earn 5,000 euros. That would have been a great final punch to the pot. So they all debate what they're going to do. Annalise says she regrets not pushing on day one. Davy says it's a chance for the mole to take some money home, even though, you know, the mole will have got some money for doing her job. And I mean, no one pushes. It's an anticlimax, but they get a flight over Polanisberg, and it's very pretty. And that means that they earn absolutely nothing of a possible minus 5,000 euros for the challenge, 5,000 of a possible 6,000 for the episode, and 27,250 of a possible 94,750 for the season. 
And Annalise is the only one who takes money out of the pot this episode. Yeah, she was the only person who lost any money for them. Aline and Davy both had a perfect run, which is surprising that the mole had a perfect perfect run over three. There's three challenges for Aline to sabotage. She chose to sabotage none of them. So they have their traditional final meal with Gilles in the game reserve. He says that they are the three best candidates and have done outstandingly. He confirms that the pots will stand at €27,250. Davy says he'd like to give everyone a nice gift, all 11, yes, including Bertrand, and wants to start his own shop. Annelise agrees about treating everyone and also fixing up a bathroom. And Eline says she'd throw a party and maybe travel some more as she's never been outside Europe before this trip. Gilles says that they could have earned over €100,000. I mean, in theory... It depends how you count the Scrabble Challenge, because theoretical maximums on the Scrabble Challenge is a little bit dangerous. Yeah. Casting our minds back to episode four, we set it at two and a half thousand euros because Shield scored 2,490 points. I think realistically the most you're going to get out of that challenge is maybe, maybe three and a half grand. I did actually look up the maximum score ever in Scrabble, you know, because I'm me. Um, after watching this episode, and I think it's about 720 points, so that would have been 7,200 euros, which still doesn't really push the pot over 100k, potentially. Right. So Davy says initially he focused on everything outside the challenges, as that is where everyone is themselves. Annalise said she told herself to observe from the beginning, and Eileen says she's hoping she can read people correctly. And Jill asks for one final time if everyone individually is the mole, they all say no. And he says that that is the mole's last lie. They are all driven by the most badass um, vehicle possible, a safari vehicle, to the final test. It takes place by a fire pit in the middle of the game reserve. They are all on individual safari vehicles, but weirdly by the time Jill meets them, they all pull up on the same one. And obviously, given that this is a game reserve, there are rangers surrounding the test site. Can you imagine having your test interrupted by a lion? Well, that's the thing. Whenever they go to South Africa, there is always a challenge of some description that is interrupted by lions of some description. Because you could have had the test here that was interrupted by lions. And more importantly, there is a chain gun game that is literally interrupted by lions. They have to cut it short because lions are circling the platform. Which franchise was that again? That was France. France. I was about to say France, but I never seem to remember French Mall. (laughs) Have you seen French Mall? No, I haven't. I can get you links. It's only six episodes, but like they're like an hour and a half episodes. How many people are there in French Mall? Ten. It's a weird elimination structure, I'll warn you now. There's single eliminations for the first five episodes, then there's a mid-finale test that executes another person, and then there's a final four as well. Hmm. But yeah, it's a very... A very fun version of Chang Yang, that one. It takes place in the middle of Kruger, and there are lines circling the platform. So it is now time for the final test. 30 questions on the identity and actions of the mole throughout the game. Whoever knows the most will leave South Africa with €27,250 and gets the right to unmask the mole. Davy says both women did well sometimes and awfully at others. Maybe there were two moles this season. Aline says Annalise is hard to read. Davy says Annalise is really good at reading people and manipulative at times. Annalise says that Davy is extremely witty and everyone's friend. He says something and everyone just follows his lead. Like, hey Logan, do you want to come back to my house? Davy says Eileen is really strong. She says she's not calculated, but she's quite aware of what she's doing. 
Annalise says she's always looking for who to manipulate, something sets off a red flag with her. All the lights turn off, whoever's light turns on is the winner. And that is Davy. Gilles comes to escort him to the reveal location, and he is utterly shocked. Even though he was on the mole from the first minute. Yeah, even though he was on the mole from essentially minute one of the game and go straight ticket on her from week three, he is shocked that he won. And I would say, having now rewatched this season and having obviously had a chat with Davy, it's very in character for him to be this humble. When you see his reaction to winning, you you kind of go, yeah, I don't know why I ever suspected him, I'll be honest. You forget all the slightly suspicious things he did in um, in the sixth episode, especially when when you just see how humble he is at you know being grateful to win. And then in the moment that gives me goosebumps every time I see it, the mole emerges from the shadows and it is Aline. And I don't know why this one in particular gives me goosebumps every time, but it really does. Probably because you don't know if it's going to be Aline or one of the big five emerging from the shadows. That would have been the final twist if a lion just came around the corner and mauled him. Who is it? Oh no, Davy, run! Oh, sh- oh, we lost our winner. We lost Davy. No. <laughs> Shit, Annalise, you win by default. Yeah. <laughs> Annalise's lantern lights up. I won. About that, we lost. We lost Davy about twenty minutes ago, and you win by default. The two sweetest words in the English language. Just step over the bloody corpse of Davy, and and you're yeah. a winner now. No, step on to the bloody corpse of Davy, and and cheer. It's the final sabotage. <laughs> See, Elaine didn't take any money out of the pot this episode. She just took one of you out of the episode. So yeah, Annalise also joins them and gives out hugs, and they end with a group hug. And we see over the credits, Eileen's audition. She says she's super competitive and likes to win, but as Mole, losing is winning, and that's how you rationalise it. That's the end of episode 8. Yep. So let's go straight into the reunion. So we open the reunion in Pier the previous week, and if you look very carefully, you can see King of the Reagan Pipes, Yuri, in the background. Because, yes, that is where Yuri is from. Huh, I didn't know that. He was affectionately known by the public as the Bear from Pear in, uh, in his season. And all the losers reunite. Booba says that he forgot that they were all real people. Instead of, what, robots or cyborgs? No, just people on the TV. Booba's not not used to being able to reach through the TV and actually know these people. (laughs) And I have to say, of course Sam has a modded car. Did you notice how kind of lowrider his car was? No, I didn't. So when asked the traditional question of who out of the final three is the mole, Robin, Sam, Marsena, Yolene, and Booba all say Aline. Han says Aline or Annalise, and Jess and Bertrand, with no doubts, say Annalise. And when watching the episode, Marsena says she would have hit the button for two and a half thousand euros. When it is revealed that Davy wins, he obviously gets mobbed and starts crying again. And Aline cries as she sees herself walk from the shadows on the screen. Bertrand says that she was the last person he'd ever suspected being the mole. And then Jill introduces the show properly outside and says the secrets still haven't been revealed. Who got the red screen in episode three? Bertrand. And did the candidates really know what they were getting themselves into? No. More than 6,500 people applied for the season, and we see some of the failed videos. 120 were invited for an audition, and 10 were then selected. I wonder, because there's been three seasons since then, 
how many of the 109 that weren't selected for South Africa, how many of them have been keep making that final cut of 120 and made it into the top 10? I think Bart, Bart was one. I was going to say, didn't Bart say he got to the auditions in South Africa? He definitely applied, because he applied for all the seasons, if I remember rightly. Mm-hmm. That would be a very interesting question to actually find out. And then we see everyone's auditions. Jess says she'll never be able to eliminate anyone. Hans said it would be awful to be the first person eliminated. Marsena says she can be dramatic. No shit. Bertrand says the goal is to participate in anything. Sam says he can't sit still. Davey starts off a running joke we didn't even know about when he said he needed a piss during his interview. And then we get a montage of him whenever they're driving, going for a piss break. Robin says that his worst trait is getting angry. No shit. And then we get a Robin crying montage. And Annalise says people can't tell if she's lying or not. And we begin to see Aline sabotages. She says in about eight hours from 7.37pm on the 9th of November, someone is coming to collect her to start the season. She medicates herself with wine and has a 3am wake-up call. She says she was told by production to push the button, but needed to make sure whoever was sat next to her also pushed the button to hide her being the only one. And she did succeed in convincing him. However, she also succeeded in making him suspect her. So... There is one thing to take away from Davy's victory. And I, I wrote this down in my observations because it really sticks out for me. Davy had a very unique advantage to be in the car with Aline at the very beginning of the game. No one else had access to that conversation or that information from Aline. So that's the one that's the one little nick you gotta take out of Davy's perfect run of the season is hmm. If somebody else was in the car with Elaine, would they have had the same train of thought as Davey did? However, the argument I will say to that is that Davey didn't necessarily suspect Elaine from that point. Davey was wary of Elaine from that point. He was keeping an eye on her more than other people, though. That's still something. I don't disagree in the slightest, but he didn't go straight ticket on her because of that. He had his guard up around her because of that. He just put her onto his radar. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, based off of this 30-second conversation, straight ticket, Elaine, she's the mole, I've won the game before it's even started. <laughs> before we're even out of Belgium. <laughs> the culpability also slightly sits with Elaine here, because she could have been a little bit less heavy-handed. <laughs> they don't really go with a task like this again, maybe because of... Aline accidentally giving up that information. I mean, it's very tough to start out as the mole, a role you've never had before, and have a one-on-one conversation with somebody for a challenge that when money can go into the pot, you're really under a heavy microscope when you're only there with one other person. Yeah. The other thing is that if I were production, and I'm not going to criticise too much because obviously this is a fantastic season, if I was production... I would say to Aline, don't necessarily push the button yourself, but you need to try and convince someone else to. However, if you push the button and you're the only one, then we just won't reveal that you pushed it. Yeah, because clearly Aline makes a mistake early on and it's a mistake to the eventual winner. Yeah, it's the Kathy argument of she did bring a lot of this on herself. And the one thing that's maybe changed a little bit in this rewatch for me, and I know we're definitely going to get into this, is I don't think Aline was that strong a mole. I think she was a good mole. I don't think she was a great mole. What was your perception of her before a rewatch, Michael? 
Well, I was shocked before a rewatch, honestly, because I was straight ticket on Davy from pretty much minute one. Eileen, I always thought, was a bit too much of a background character as a mole. But it's really it's really evident when you rewatch this season. And you go, yeah, she had some great sabotages. And she had a lot of misfortune, maybe self-inflicted with the first challenge, maybe not so self-inflicted with the, the air bubble challenge. But compared to other moles, she's not as bombastic. And I am very much a fan of the moles who you find out at the end have done really big evil things. I love a good reveal where you go, holy shit, they did all of that. And I don't think you have that moment with Eileen, really. Eileen's sabotages are all a little bit a little bit finicky on the whole. See, yeah, before the rewatch, too, I couldn't remember all of her specific sabotages, but when I compare her to all the other moles, I'm thinking, Aline's just really unmemorable for me. I know a couple people were onto her. She didn't do anything too crazy, but she wasn't terrible at the mole either. And then on this rewatch, I'm thinking, hmm, her stock goes down a little bit for me compared, but compared to before we started this rewatch. I think my memory of Eileen as Mole is coloured by my perception of the season rather than anything she did. Her stock rises because her season is so good. Whereas if you just take her as a Mole and nothing else around it, I don't think she's as strong a Mole as you maybe first think. Yeah, and I would say overall by the season, she's really overshadowed by the high quality where... Even if she was a really good mole or a really bad mole, it wouldn't have mattered as much in contrast to other seasons. They didn't They didn't need a quality mole. That's not to say being a mole is a very, very tough job to do. <laughs> Definitely. Neither of us can really speak to this as two people who would desperately love to be on the mole and obviously have never been on the mole. But I feel like going into this season knowing Galene is the mole, you don't get anything really out of that like you would from the Argentina one, for example, where you go into it knowing that Gil is the mole and you watch for all the sneaky shit that he does and all the the fun sabotages and yeah, he overplays his hand at the Passfrogan game. But that's really his only misstep. Whereas Eileen, she's a bit too in the background. Even stuff like... I'll use the Caravan Challenge as an example because I'm editing episode 6 at the moment. In the Caravan Challenge, with any other mole, you see her with a cup of coffee, you'd go, maybe she's going to give everyone coffee and try and keep them awake and stuff. You never get any indication that that was the, the case. That has literally been a clue on the UK mole for the mole raising everyone's heart rate by giving them really caffeinated coffee in the morning. You never get the implication that there was that nuance to her game as a mole. I don't know, I'm trying not to be obviously too too down on Eileen as a mole because she was a really good mole but I wouldn't say she was a great mole. Yeah, like even that caravan challenge too, where her big thing was kicking that thing to make noise. I'm thinking there has to be a bigger sabotage than that. That's the thing. the The bigger implication for Annalise not sleeping there was not. It wasn't her kicking the dustbin around. It was Sam driving like a fucking maniac over those speed bumps. Like that is what woke Annalise up. It wasn't the noise. Yeah. Well, yeah. Aline said it too. She said. We were losing at so many challenges that it felt like there was a second mole in the game. That was one of her confessionals where she's like, well, I didn't have to even do that much because everyone else was screwing it up themselves. She cited the ostrich maze, the complete chaos. And she said, well, it was very easy to position myself where I wanted to, where I think they would have failed on their own. 
I just helped push it over the edge. And I'm thinking, to be a really good mole, I think you got to get away with some, as you said before, Michael, some really evil stuff that can't be attributed to anybody else. Yeah, being the mole is your one opportunity in life to really fuck with people and to really kind of mess with their heads. And I don't think Eileen took all of the opportunities she should have done. And it makes me think back to our grease recaps where when we'd worked out that it was Alina, which was like maybe two thirds of the way through the season when we were both pretty confident on her. I said at the time, there's never been a mole as young as Alina. There's never been someone who's a young female mole on Belgian Mole. And I was wrong because I forgot Eileen. Eileen's 24 in this season. And I wonder whether her lack of life experience is the wrong term, but I wonder whether her maybe a little bit of naivety came into it where she just wasn't confident enough to do some of the sneaky shit that a mole normally does. Actually, let's speak about the contrast between Alina and Alina. <laughs> Two very similar names. Because I think uh, to drive home your life experience point, Alina, yes, she's only she was only 21, right? In Greece? Or 20? Yeah, just 20. But in terms of life experience... Alina, as an immigrant from Kazakhstan, had already been arrested, like spent time being interrogated in jail repeatedly, or at least once anyway, had been to America, just really going back and forth and having situations that are a lot tougher than other people have to go through. And then Aline, at the at the end of this season, says, I've just never been outside of Europe before. You know, I just have a I have a nice job back home that where I don't really get to do too much else other than that. In fact, she even said in her in the reunion bit when they were going back to everyone's personal lives, yes, yeah, Alina's a police officer, but I'm thinking being a police officer in Belgium is a bit different being a police officer in, say, Johannesburg. I'm just putting that, that out there. Where she said where she was saying, I was really miserable after I got back from filming in South Africa because all I did was wake up, go to my job, come home, have dinner and go to sleep, and maybe that's what her life had essentially been like for for her young 24 years. Yeah, I want to 100% say we are not criticizing Eline in the slightest. She's still a fantastic mole. But the problem is we're now at the end of doing five seasons in the past three years of Belgian mole. Potentially next year, there might not be a Belgian mole season. It is obviously going to come back because it's already been recommissioned. But because of the whole you know pandemic... There's no guarantee that they're going to film one for next year. Right now, they may do the the fabled year off. So that this is the perfect opportunity for basically us to take a little bit of stock and look back at all five of the seasons. And obviously, not in depth because it's like seven minutes past midnight already. We're not going to go look back in depth, but it's great to be able to compare the moles because I would say of the five, Elena is probably probably fourth ahead of Peter, obviously. I like how we both had the when we both individually ranked the moles from one to five that we both put Aline as number four and then Peter as number five. Yeah, I think Peter is legendarily not the worst mole of Belgium, but he's he's known as being the least good mole of Belgium. The least yeah, I like that phrasing too. <laughs> because in a very comparable way to Aline, as a priest, he's maybe not got as much deception and life experience in that kind of category as the other three compared to say a 20 year old woman who's already been to jail <laughs> yeah who admitted she was an illegal immigrant for eight years or whatever it was 
I think my order is probably spoilers for all the seasons. Now I'm just going to warn you: Elizabeth, Jill, Alina, and then Aline and um, and Pia. And I would just swap number two and number three. I'd put Alina higher than than Jill. I think I put Jill higher purely because he does get away with a lot of stuff in that season. He really gets away with causing a lot of trouble and only only gets burned in the past Frogan game when Kathy's already onto him. Whereas Alina Alina did do some sneaky shit, obviously, but hers was maybe less fun sneaky shit than Jill's was. Yeah, you're they're really it's a really close call between the two of them. There is a hair between them. Elizabeth is definitely number one, purely because she was thrown in at the deep end and she thrived. Yeah, she only made one. She didn't really, for somebody who didn't know she was the mole until she was on location, the fact that she didn't screw up at all until the the ocean rescue mission is quite impressive. I will never forget the reaction when we found out officially that Elizabeth was the mole. <laughs> Just that room erupted. And there was only 20 people in that room at the most. <laughs> and my defining memory of that moment was... Gilles de Costa, pretty much directly behind me, cackling his little head off when I shouted fuck when Elizabeth was the mole. Because <laughs> he's like, I got you! Like, fuck off, Jill. <laughs> so Eileen says that she wanted to make it clear to the group she wasn't the smartest or the strongest. After two days, they told her the slow one, which gave her a pass to be stupid or slow. Booba and Jess both said she was a bit too emotional to be the mole, and Sam said that she was too much of a blabbermouth. Because everyone thought that she was slow, she could get away without succeeding at the airbag challenge on her puzzle. She was also given 10 kilos of clay to practice the penguin challenge. And she practiced a lot. And this was to try and convince them to be faster than hands and lose the money regardless. And she says that the electric shot challenge was harder to sabotage because it hurt her if they were wrong. She chose to suggest words that sounded right, but weren't. And production played down how bad the shock was going to be to her. It was at least ten times worse than Electric Fences, and she was very, very surprised that they won. I think Davy and Hans were surprised that they won. <laughs> I was surprised that they won. I didn't remember them winning. That was the biggest fluke of a victory of a task. <laughs> that, I would say, is the defining soundbite from Eileen, is there are a couple of moments where she's like, ah, oh, fuck, they won. And she didn't maybe do enough to stop them winning. Yeah, she actually has another big failed sabotage with the swimming challenge. Yeah, the uh, the air bubble challenge. But that wasn't entirely her fault. Obviously, it actually was her fault, but she was distracted by Adelise's panic attack. So at the castle, I have good hope. She delayed them as long as possible so they would miss the bus and hid the door where the correct answer was. She tried to get them lost in the castle, but obviously Davy knew the right way out, and it wasn't enough, though. And I did actually point that out at the time when we did the What Did the Mole Do segment, I said, that castle is a maze. She was definitely trying to lead them the wrong way. Because I didn't actually remember the sabotage properly. I remembered that she delayed them enough so they didn't win. But I couldn't remember that she tried to take them the wrong way as well. I like how by the second episode, Davy's already undermining her sabotages. I honestly think Davy is such a badass in this season when you realise how early he was on to Aileen. And he was just constantly messing with her. They were messing with each other pretty good. You forget how many times Davy intentionally put himself in a group with her, or what was better was in the air bubble challenge that he just completely disregards Aline's wishes, and then Aline has no choice but to complain to everyone else in the game, and then Davy's like, well, you're the mole, I couldn't give a damn about what you say. 
but he has to play into it because he wants people to suspect him, which works. It's the same argument as with um, with Kathy and Jill. As soon as Kathy realised that it was Jill, she was constantly trying to be in a pair with him, just to to stop him stealing her money. Although Aline does get one big victory over Davy at the what's missing in the room. Oh yeah, <laughs> where Davy's like, "Well, what do you think?" Elaine Elaine's saying, "You're really asking me what I think." <laughs> But I think Davy was doing that more to get suspicion onto himself rather than on Aline. Yeah, dude, you know I'm the mole by now. Yeah. What are you doing? Do you know this is your money, right? <laughs> so Jess went home suspecting Marsena. Davy was the only one who spotted a clue at the start and was on to Aline by then, which was her pushing but not being in the top five. Yolene was on Booba and Sam, and Booba was on Annalise. Annalise began to suspect Elaine after Shosha Loza because she wasn't singing properly, even though she has a beautiful voice in the car, which actually made the episode, can I point out? Episode 2 did mention that soundbite. That's what Annalise said in the test, was that she suspected Elaine because Elaine has a beautiful voice and uh, and she wasn't singing properly in Shosha Loza. Marsena suspected Robin because he was the only one on the camera in the museum heist. Annalise and Davy both put 100% of their questions on Elaine on that elimination. Bertrand was on Davy because he was scared of ostriches. From episode 4, Davy was trying to stop her sabotaging as much as possible too. He tried to be with her as much as possible to limit her losses and attract suspicion for himself. Hans went home suspecting him, and Sam went from more Aline to split between Davy and Aline when he went. Robin went all in on Aline, but only because of Hans's diary. Davy and Annalise both knew who each other suspected silently by the end. And Marsena says that she hopes Davy got the red screen in episode 3 just so, you know, he owes her money. And as we know already, because we've mentioned it a few times in these recaps, it was Bertrand. And Marsena has a go at him for not using it better. Yeah, she's like, if you're going to make me go home early, can you at least make it further than zero additional eliminations? <laughs> Dude, avenge my loss. Who else did, did Bertrand suspect? Because he got executed suspecting Davy, but... Who did he suspect the first time he was executed? We never actually find out. Yeah, because I kept going back. I'm thinking, did I miss it in the subtitles? But no, I guess they want to save Bertrand the embarrassment. Maybe he suspected Marzena. That that would be a turn up for the books for him, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm thinking that's got. He's really got a safe face if he suspected Marzena in episode three. <laughs> just how way off he would have been. The ironic thing is, I've just gone back and looked at my episode 3 notes. The note for Bertrand on the test is, Bertrand says Davy played for 500 euros on the museum heist because he was forced to, and you can't make yourself suspicious with 500 euros on the line. So he goes from, in episode 3, completely not suspecting Davy, to putting everything on Davy in episode 4. See, and that was another one of Aline's really subtle sabotages, which can't fully be attributed to her, because they're all drinking. She said, well, I'm going to make sure Bertrand has lots of drinks and then put him up in a higher value. But I'm thinking Bertrand probably would have drank that much regardless. Yeah, Bertrand is a young guy in his 20s with Papa Virgil de Costa's credit card. He's not going to limit his alcohol consumption. Not to mention we had Robin, Davy, and Sam all together. I don't think they need much encouragement. And Bertrand says that he felt like a true loser when he went home again, and he felt really bad when Marsena went out in his place. And Aline says she can fake enthusiasm quite well, except for the diving bell challenge. She says she's a little bit claustrophobic. Two weeks before departure, she practiced diving, and she was meant to use 20 seconds to study her flag, and the rest of the time to sabotage by switching two of the flags for others, with a diver giving her air. However, Annalise's panic attack right before her threw her off a bit, and she surfaced on the wrong side, and she was very upset. I would say, as a mole, 
Eileen allowed events to control her too much. She was a bit too passive and not proactive enough, I would say. And I don't want this to turn into an Eileen roast, because Eileen was fantastic in this season, and she made this season brilliant. But compared to the other moles, she was maybe a little passive for my my liking. Contrast her with, say, another mole from the American version, Angie Everhart. Angie was really aggressive with stepping... She only had one person suspect her at the very end of the game, where Angie really stepped in if she noticed the group was going against her wishes, where she was able to be, step in, be really aggressive, and be able to produce the sabotages for everybody, as opposed to Aline, where if something went awry with the group, she just went with the group a little bit more. I think you gotta sometimes take the risk and be a bit more Angie and see where it goes. Granted, with Jills, he did get a bit too aggressive with the pass Ragon game, and it backfired, but sometimes you just gotta take that risk and see how it plays out. Do you think that that was playing on her mind a bit? The fact that Jill was basically exposed because he was a little bit too aggressive, so she went into it saying, I'm not going to be aggressive in the same way Jill was. That's a good point too. I'm thinking with Aline, I doubt she's seen the American versions of the mole. She would have been too young even for like the origin for the original Belgian mole seasons, I'm sure. Yeah, because it goes back to what I said at the start of the episode. Argentina and South Africa are two sides of the same coin. And I don't think you can really talk about one without the other because Argentina impacts South Africa so much and then the combination of Argentina and South Africa impacts the following seasons. So we could say that Aline was supposed to be a complementary mole to Jill's where they're two... Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Is the best way to describe it. They are completely opposite moles, I would say. Aline was quite passive and Jill was quite aggressive at times. And then by extension, I think you could say the next three seasons took a combination of what worked in Argentina and what worked in South Africa, not just in terms of mole behavior, but in terms of challenges and overall editing. And we blend them all together. And I think that's essentially what we've had for Mexico, what we've had for Vietnam, and what we've had for Greece. Yeah, this is the argument that I made when all those months ago we did the the 300th episode when we talked about these two seasons being the best seasons we never covered. And why I was, let's be honest, so aggressive with you trying to make these two seasons happen is because I don't think you can really talk about Belgian mole seasons without looking at these two and seeing how much influence they had on the following three. These two seasons are two of the most important seasons in reality TV history because of the impact that they have on the following three. They are super, super important seasons and super, super fun seasons. For different reasons. Oh yeah, I completely agree with you on that point, Michael. So in the ostrich maze, as you said earlier, everyone just ran around crazily, but Davey spotted Aline pressuring Robin and Annalise into not wasting time, which is something I mentioned at the time. A lot of these sabotages I just kind of tried to remember as we were going through the episodes. I'm quite impressed that I managed to remember so many of these. Uh, She knew it'd go wrong because they don't communicate as a group. They did so badly that she suspected there even could be a second mole. She didn't even need to sabotage the caravan challenge due to Robin not sleeping, Sam sleeping in the car, and also her dropping metallic objects when Annalise was sleeping. However, as we discussed, that was probably more Sam's driving than anything. And she said with the film challenge she wanted to make sure the most athletic person was on the films. She made sure Robin couldn't direct the challenge too, even though he'd be good at it. 
in the dark room. She was taken out by two bodyguards and no one else would see her. She got steak dinner in the boardroom while everyone else sat in their rooms. And she took a scent from everyone's bag and put it on a napkin to use to put them off, which is a great sabotage. Hats off to uh, to Aline for, for the forward thinking on that one. And we also get to see a little bit of Jill distracting her and says that her helmet is too small for his fat head. <laughs> And Annalise says she's never done anything as crazy as the mole. She thinks about it every day still. Sam says every day he wakes up to the dulcet tones of Shoshaloza. Davy says he misses it. Eileen was really sad the first two weeks after returning. Booba says that the mole was temporary, but the friendships are for life. And Sam says he gets people sliding into his DMs on Snapchat and sending him pictures of their tits. And apparently, Yolene trusted Eileen 100%. They had a pact in the museum. Bertram was her plaything. She played on his tolerance for alcohol. And she confirmed she stood up just a bit too early, set off the alarm, and blamed it on Bertrand because he was so drunk he'll just admit anything. She got a note in the bathroom as to what the changes were in the Spot the Difference game. She thought it was odd that Davy just went along with her on that challenge because, you know, she knew that he knew she was the mole. And she aimed for everyone to get the pass for Argon in the Secret Rooms challenge. Davy was easy to convince everyone with, but she realised he wouldn't go with what she said, so she used that against him. She tried to come across as a really bad liar in the round that she played to put doubts in their minds at final four. That was that was funny. The more is acting as a bad liar. <laughs> it was really funny, but as we know, it did nothing. Everyone at final four went straight ticket on Eileen, and Robin only went because of the pass fragging. Yeah, Robin didn't do the best in that challenge. So Jill actually gives a shout out to the people who look for hidden hints on the forums. The mole was in the fifth car for the fifth season. Eileen was the first person to be seen saying the word mole. In the Scrabble challenge, there was only one name you could spell from the letters in the graphic on the left-hand side, which was Eileen. Everyone else is missing at least one letter. There were four pieces of music in the rugby challenge that weren't from films in the challenge, all of which had a main character that was a corrupt police officer. Eileen was also showed repeatedly in scenes with clocks. Every week, Jill announced the episode at the same time, as it said on the clock in that episode. It was a literal conversation with the mole. I'd forgotten about that clue. It is a really cool clue, but no one is going to have got that. I never thought Judge Judy would be incorporated into a Belgian mole clue. <laughs> and as I said last week, the QR code literally led to a site saying Aline was the mole with the code 6008, which is the code for a Lego set about a museum break-in where the thief sets off the alarm. Really, really smart clue. I remember the QR bit. I could not remember the actual the next bit of it. And the page also had some points shining brighter than others, forming the constellation of Leo. If you put the QR code on the word search from episode two and shift it six boxes to the left and eight up, as in the number, it spells Eileen is the mole at the top. Robin did, as we pointed out, spot Eileen's knee cracking, although he said it was her ankle in the dark room, but this was also audible twice in episode seven. And in the classic clues, Eileen's playlist contained hints about the theme of each episode. Episode 1 was Dilemma, Episode 2 was Diamonds, Episode 3 was Casanova, Episode 4 was Titanic's theme for the sinking boat in the challenge with the bikes. There was a song called The Destination for the Satnav Challenge, Total Eclipse of the Heart for the Heart Rate Challenges, and I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from the movie Armageddon, and also referencing the Spot the Difference Challenge. I'm very surprised they didn't make the Armageddon uh, link there, because I think Armageddon was one of the um, one of the songs on the rugby balls. I just know it's from Armageddon. Yeah. So Davy gets his check in front of everyone else. He says he's going to a nightclub and acting important. Nah, not really. He's putting a lot aside for a business or a house, but he's going to treat everyone else. 
He's also got a flight voucher for Annalise to go back to South Africa with Joe, and he's given her a donation to start a project at the school that they went to, not that she can read the letter without her glasses. <laughs> and he gives her a letter with it too, and it's a 5,000 euro donation. And Aline has a confessional about everything being out in the open now. Yolene says she was told to trust nobody, and she lost trusting Aline. Davy says he's happy to know her, and Robin ends the episode by saying he told his wife he'd be a little bit less intense now. <laughs> and then we get the traditional outtakes to finish the episode, which is Jill forgetting one of the big five, and my favourite one, which I'd completely forgotten about, was the very cute warthog having to be shifted out the background of Sam's confessional. <laughs> now, we're going to do this quickly, because, you know, it's nearly half twelve. The impact of this season cannot be understated, just as the impact of Argentina cannot be understated. Because after Argentina, they learned not to cast so many abrasive people who would argue all the damn time. And to cast, as they did this season, a group of people who, both Jill and production, would actually enjoy being around for two and a half to three weeks. I don't think there was a single issue with this group of people for production. Or the contestants. No, they were absolutely lovely as a group, and they are still very strong friends from what I've seen. The other impact of this season that we haven't mentioned yet is the fact that this is really the last season where the ratings are just okay. As of Mexico, they absolutely skyrocket. Mexico is the first season where Belgian Mole really dominates airtime and dominates ratings to a level you can only imagine happening in, in an English-speaking country. Because I think the Vietnam finale has the peak of somewhere in the region of 60% market share. That's nuts. This season maybe averaged about 20. I think word of mouth must have just exploded at the end of the South Africa season. Well, I mean, look, look at look, we started podcasting with the Mexico premiere, so we're no exception. I think after two seasons where, well, especially for you, Michael, that started watching before I did with the new Belgian series. That's just people probably nagging their friends, hey, you got to watch this, you got to watch this. And the people who haven't watched it yet are thinking, there's already too much competitive reality TV around the world for me to watch. Or maybe even within Belgium, there's too much of a proliferation of of television content. And then after two years of, of people saying, no, 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 it's really good, you got to watch it. Then I think everyone just fell in line. And that's why we started podcasting with Mexico and why the market share tripled to 60 percent <laughs> i've actually just thought of another question that i didn't have written down for this this final kind of segment do you regret my nagging for belgium Mole? because it is very well documented that after i watched the argentina season in early 2017 as the south africa season was airing and after i watched the south africa season i didn't shut up about belgium Mole to you especially but also to pretty much everyone on the on the podcast group I very much was a a mole uh, missionary on this, I, I will say. I did not shut up until you watched these seasons. Do you regret my nagging? Do I regret you ag- ag- nagging as aggressively as you were? or Yeah, do, do, do you regret me bothering you until you watch this, this show? <laughs> no, because I think I wouldn't have watched it as much. I wouldn't have watched it as soon as I did otherwise. No, I don't think you would as well. Ah. Uh, I think the reason that we love doing Belgian Mole more than anything is there is such a wonderful community surrounding it, spearheaded by the nicest person I have ever met, Gilles da Costa. And I said this on Reddit a few days ago, weirdly in a in a Taskmaster thread. 
Jill is so sickeningly nice, and it's really hard as someone who, even before we'd spoken to him, thought the world of him as a presenter. He was my favourite mole host, even before we spoke to him, even before we started podcasting about this season, because he is just the the perfect combination of everything you want in a mole host. Especially this season, when he just has his Gilles de Costa dick moments. When he just plays with these people. He is wonderful as a host, and as we found out when we spoke to him, a showrunner as well. But he's also a wonderful human being. Casting my mind back to to March 2018 when we started doing the Mexico season, I don't think in my wildest dreams I would have expected within a year and a bit to have been flying to Belgium and being part of the mole finale for arguably the best of the five seasons. You could definitely make an argument for South Africa being the best, but Vietnam obviously has a, a very special place in my heart as a result of the fun we had with that season. And now I'm going to shut up and let you talk. <laughs> I don't really have too much else to add. I think you covered it really well, Michael. <laughs> Belgian Mole is a genuinely very special show. And it's no secret that it is my favourite one for us to podcast about. It's consistently phenomenally good. And I don't know how they do it. If they do do a season next year, and arguably by the time this episode comes out, we'll probably know if there's going to be a season next year. It'll be in Norway and Sweden. Either that or they've sent them to New Zealand and uh, and made them quarantine for six months. Arguably, it will probably still be a very bloody good season. If they don't do a season next year... I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> that is a warning for Jill Costa. I'll make that the clip. <laughs> if, we, if they don't do another season next year, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> and the severe headquarters. <laughs> Cause of death, no Belgian mall season. <laughs> Why is this British guy dying? From no Belgian ball. <laughs> yeah, if if they don't do a season next year, we know full well that that Gilles has wanted to maybe take a year off just to to reset everyone's heads a little bit. If they don't do one next year, I won't be as heartbroken. But Gilles has to promise me that it is a bloody good season when they come back, because they are on fire with these seasons. Even Mexico, which is arguably the worst of the five, is still. It's still a very, very good season. It's better than any Dutch mole we've seen since Georgia. Yeah, easily. And ten times better than the shit we had to endure the past two episodes with Vidim Renaissance. Yeah, we're, we're dating it slightly, but we've um, we've just come off the, the stupid two-parter episode of Vidim Renaissance, and we're both still quite angry about it. What a waste of my time. So, the final, final, final question is, what next? I hope we can get, if any cast members are listening to this, we're trying to, we've been trying so hard to get them on. I'm hoping we can succeed with that. I'm hoping, I think we'll get, I think once these South Africa podcasts get released, it'll be a lot easier to convince Annalise and Robin and Davy and Sam and anyone, everyone, everyone from that season. Everyone is welcome. Even Hans, even Hans can come on here. But not Bershaw. But not, well... <laughs> He'd, he'd need a couple attempts, and then, no, no, even after a couple attempts, he's still not going to be able to figure it out. This is an absolute open invitation now to anyone from Belgian Mole who wants to talk to us, please just reach out. Logan is incredibly active on Twitter and will be bothering you as these episodes come out. Please come and talk to us, because we would love to sit down with you and have a proper 
in-depth chat about your your season and let's be honest fangirl a little bit over speaking to anyone from the mall obviously number one target is davy because i just want to keep making davy jokes just because this is the end of the south africa season doesn't mean i'm ever going to stop making davy jokes because it just amuses me greatly but i guess it's time to finish the season and the year (laughs) because this is the very last episode of the year this is coming out on christmas eve we're gonna take maybe 10 days off and then have the fun of vista mall 2021 to deal with who knows where that's going to be probably everyone by the time that this episode comes out let's be honest then we cover old vias the mall seasons or old amazing race seasons maybe if there is the appetite for an old vidam or two or maybe 18 then um then maybe maybe we could be persuaded shall we say watch this space because let's be honest, just because we've run out of Belgian mall seasons doesn't mean we're going to run out of seasons, out of all seasons to actually talk about. We do have three more Belgian mall seasons, technically. Yeah, not sub though, do we? We haven't got subtitles for them. <laughs> well, we just got to. I I can do Dutch through or Flemish through Pimsler, and I think we can be okay. I'm not sure I have the appetite to do the three old old ones. I'll be honest. They're from what 2001 or 2002 was the final one. 98 2001 holy crap i didn't know it was 98 that it started the first season of belgian mall was basically the first season of competitive reality tv oh yeah would even predate what it does it predate expedition robinson it's close i can't remember which one came first but because i want to say expedition robinson might have been 97 but i'm not certain it's very very close between the two of them but the first season of belgian mall was essentially the first season of any competitive reality tv at least in the form we know it. Anyways, I'm good. So, for the final time this year, thank you for listening to our Demol Belgium recap. We'll be back next year for more podcasts, beginning with Vias de Mall 2021. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us on contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logspaquacky, and I am MJ Armstone. See you next year. Peace out, and just chill till the next of flavoring. So you see... Three nice people, except one of them is a traitor. One of them is the mole.